Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. This is ABC News Daily. We've seen so much devastation from flooding this year, with some towns being virtually wiped out. To make it worse, in many cases, residents unable to afford soaring insurance costs were left with nothing. Today we ask how we can protect Australians when insurance companies no longer will. I'm Alison Temmel and I live in Newgara and we have just been through probably the most frightening experience of our lives. Oh gosh. Uh, I can hear the birds in the background but I can also hear some machinery still, Alison. Yes. I gather that's part of the clean-up there. It is, yes. Every yeah. day we've got heavy machinery going through the town picking up everybody's waste that's going out. So currently they have our oven and a few other things that have gone out. Yeah, oh my gosh. I mean... We know Yugaura. I mean, it was basically wiped off the map from these floods, wasn't it? Absolutely, yes. An entire town wiped out in just over an hour. A terrifying wall of water rose up and swept through Yugaura with almost no warning. It claimed the life of 60-year-old So the night before, we'd had quite a heavy thunderstorm and it continually rained all night. As the sun came up, we could really see what was happening. I looked out of our back door to see just water starting to inundate the backyard. It was about two feet deep and heading at quite a speed towards the house. So uh, we went in, I grabbed my handbag. We've got two pet cats, so we managed to get hold of them and proceeded to go out of the front door. So by the time we got to the front door, about three minutes had elapsed and the water was already up to our knees inside the house. Um, A friend rang me and she was saying, get out now, get out now, we're gonna try and come and get you. And I didn't understand what the urgency was until we actually went outside our front door and uh, water just gushed in and it was up to our waists by then. It was terrifying. So the roar of the water, the banging noises of colour-bond fences sort of exploding and falling over uh, was really loud and quite terrifying. Mm, how do you feel now recounting that? Uh, I, it's actually quite traumatic. I haven't been sleeping, um, having a few nightmares about things. But, you know, we, we're quite lucky. We're some of the luckier ones that we managed to wade a couple of hundred metres up to the end of our street to safety, other people weren't so lucky. You know, I think one in five people in our whole town had to be rescued off their roofs by helicopter. Mm, Gosh, that's just, it's incredible. And your house was destroyed and everything in it, I assume. Yes. So what we've got, uh, luckily we've got a steel frame on a concrete slab. So Structurally, we're okay, the roof is okay, but inside we've had to strip all the gyp rock off the walls, strip off all the floor coverings. All our possessions pretty much have been destroyed. We've got a few things we've salvaged and, again, um, just looking outside, it just looks like a bomb's hit the house. Mm, so everything you owned is destroyed. So Absolutely. Gosh, I, I, I can't fathom that. So did you have 
insurance. Yes, we have insurance on our home for house and contents. Unfortunately, there's no flood component to that because to insure for flooding would be an extra $33,000 per annum in premiums. And that's crazy. I mean, we're covered for bushfire, we're covered for theft, we're covered for everything else, but not storm surge, not um, flood damage, not storm damage. So what are you going to do now? Well, um, good question. Look, family have been great. We have beautiful friends. The general public have been donating. But at the end of the day, my husband and I have just got to dig deep and as we can afford it, buy a few more sheets of gyp rock, then buy some flooring and then be painting. It's going to take a long, long time. But Again, we're so much better off than others. There's, I believe, to date, 28 homes here in Yagara that are um, going to be destroyed because they've been damaged beyond repair. I'm Paula Jarzabkowski and I'm a Professor of Strategic Management at the University of Queensland. Paula, we've just heard from... Alison, she lives in Ugaura, which has just been absolutely devastated by these recent floods. The biggest problem for her is, although she had insurance, she didn't have flood insurance because it was going to cost her an extra $30,000 a year to get that cover. And we're hearing in some cases in those areas that flood coverage isn't even being offered at all. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise me in any of these areas that are known to flood. It's actually considered prudent uh, insurance practice. We want to know that if an insurer takes your policy, that they're pricing that appropriately to make sure they'll have the money to pay for the claims. So if you're someone or living in an area that's known that it's going to flood frequently, then you're going to be putting more claims into the system and so you get charged a lot more. And I think that is one of the problems that we're coming into with climate change. It's difficult for insurers to know exactly where. Uh, They'll know an area is prone to risk and getting worse because of climate change. But climate change is a bit volatile, so it's hard to say exactly how much more is it going to cost in this area and on which houses. And so what you get is something that's a bit coarse that says all the houses in this area are known to be problematic. So in that sense, their their broad context is correct. But, of course, it's, it's a terrible thing for those people who want to protect themselves but are unable to do so because the prices make it impossible. So, Paula, let's look at what can be done because you've been researching other countries where this problem has arisen, where natural disasters have seen insurers refuse to grant policies or where policies are so expensive people can't afford them. So what can be done? What should we be doing? There's two things we're going to need to do. Let's start with the insurance-based piece first, which is just, do we want to help these people get insured? My personal belief is we do, because we will have to make them good anyway. And whether that comes through insurance claims or comes through some sort of disaster relief fund, this is Australia. We are not going to leave them in the street. I am a bit concerned when I say this is Australia, we're not going to leave them in the street just how many people we are going to leave in temporary housing for a couple of years or more after this this most recent set of disasters. But the point is, if someone is insured and they have a disaster, then at least they have bought into some of their own relief. 
So if we'd like that to continue and more of these people to be insured, we can set up a mutualisation of Australia. This is a bit what we call an insurance or a reinsurance pool. In New Zealand, they have one of these for earthquake. Everybody who's insured pays something towards the earthquake insurance, although not everybody is earthquake prone. What we see in the UK is something not dissimilar. It's called flood re, and it says that a certain number of houses in the UK are highly prone to flood. They can't afford insurance. So every homeowner pays £10 from their policy. It goes to a flood reinsurance pool and that flood pool then enables the insurer who sells you your premium to sell you your premium at a lower cost, even if you're in a high flood zone, because everybody's premiums subsidise your premium. Yeah, right. So I could pay an extra $50 on my insurance policy, even though I'm not in a flood-prone area. But that, in in the end, is going to help Alison. Yeah, that's the way to look at it. And we could pro-rata that. So we could say, look, Alison's in a low-value home through no fault of her own. She's flooding. She gets subsidised more heavily. Sue has a very good income. She lives on the coast in a big, expensive house. We pro-rata or we only cover Sue for a certain amount. We don't cover Sue for the Jaguar that's in the basement, for example. But that's the system. Everybody pays something in their insurance premium to protect all Australians. Mm, We sort of do that already, don't we, with cyclone insurance in the top end of the country? Well, we're hoping to do that. We've got a pool in place. It only just came about in July 2022. Mm -hmm. So it's it's, it's a baby yet um, and we haven't put it to the test. But That is the principle of it. It's not quite widespread enough yet, but it's the basic bones to do that. So apart from that idea of insurance pooling that we all contribute to the costs of this insurance, what else could we be doing? So the second thing we need to do is we need to say, okay, what can we do with the Allisons? We may need to say, look, some houses, they're never going to be viable. We do need to buy them back. That's probably a disaster relief fund of some sort, but we're not going to be able to buy everybody back simultaneously for two reasons. One is a huge amount of money. Two is we don't have anywhere for them to go. You know, so we know there's a housing shortage in Australia, so it's no good saying to someone, I'll buy your house. You give them the money, they haven't got anywhere they can go. They can't buy another house. We haven't fixed their problem. We used to use the data we have from the floods we've had to say... To what extent can we change this house? Can we make it so it won't flood? If so, then that house is viable. Let's build it like that and then Alison will be able to be insured. Or if we say it's not, it is probably still going to flood but only under very extreme situations, can we build it in a way where it'll be much quicker to get it cleaned out? Now that is something that says, okay, maybe Alison can't sell this house but we can help her rebuild it so she can live in this house. So that's a kind of where we've got to tie into the broader planning ecosystem of how we build and out of what we build. Mm. Just back on that issue of insurance, if we don't address the insurance issue, what will happen to people like Alison living in these areas that just have no cover uh, when these disasters happen? They'll just have to rely on government disaster relief funds and charity each time. You know, some people may say, well, that maybe that's what we should just do. But I think that that is the wrong way round of thinking. People who buy insurance are people who have thought in advance, I want to protect myself. So we want to help people to have that mindset. To do that, we've got to make it possible. 
And if we could sort of get even a sort of stratification like that, we'd have a bit of a handle on what currently is a pretty intractable problem. And I, I think we're a country that has a lot of disasters. Let's take a proactive stance. Professor Paula Jarza-Bukowski is a disaster risk finance expert from the University of Queensland's School of Business. Alison Temmel lives in Ugaura, which was devastated by floods a fortnight ago. New data released by the Insurance Council of Australia shows the insurance bill for storms and floods since January 2020 has topped $12.3 billion. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield, Chris Dengate and Sam Dunn, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer this week is Sydney Peed. Over the weekend, catch This Week with David Lipson. He'll be looking at the Nationals' opposition to the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.